1: static uh i i would like to talk about you'd a, like to hit your microphone exactly yeah. <laughs> but what i'd like to do is uh talk about a uh appeal that we unfortunately had to make in the 11th circuit um you, most of you who've listened to this know that we had a trial against the securities exchange commission very successful spartan securities group right they had brought 14 counts against our clients the jury said 13 of them were not accurate uh and um and uh, one of our clients was dismissed completely, but there are four, uh, two companies and two individuals who did have one count remaining. And this was a 10B count, which is that um, it's basically that something you said or did deceived an investor in some way. And um, the the tragedy of this and, and something that really uh, always bothers me is that they don't have to say exactly what it was you did to deceive them until uh, we kept asking, we kept asking. And then finally, at the time when you it, it, you do the jury charges, they listed like 18 statements. Um, and so you don't know which ones exactly because they're all in the same count the jury decided uh, on. And we didn't think some of these statements were false, but we also didn't think any of them were material. And materiality means that no one would care about it if you say that um, you, you know, when you signed this contract, you were wearing a blue suit and you were wearing a brown suit. Well, that doesn't that doesn't change anyone's investor's view. Um, so uh, this it, it is a jury determination but it, it... I,
0: I thought you were going to talk about the material of the suit <laughs>
1: this is this is wool instead of linen <laughs> Exactly or or, or, or That's or, not what material or, means or or corduroy back in <laughs> the 70s anyway so, polyester uh, yeah. So so in any event um so so we've appealed and uh it's before the 11th circuit now and and we're going to see whether we get any amicus support because this is this is very interesting in that the um some of the, uh, uh, the penalty phase um, of awarding penalties uh, for this one violation uh, were based on facts, I do an air quote here, um, that the jury didn't find. And so there is the issue of whether or not um, you need a jury dis- determination for the facts that you're gonna um, bring a fine, basically a penalty against these people for and there's, an, there's also the issue, there is, uh, which is, is, uh, often comes up, the statute of limitations issue, and I'll just mention it briefly, which is this. The, the, the causes of action that were brought were outside the statute of limitations. The, the government had basically gone after the real fraudsters, guys who testified who were admitted fraudsters, who sort of sucked our clients in, into there. Um scheme, just like they sucked the SEC and FINRA and everyone else. They were, they were, you know, movie, movie type fraudsters that you'd see <laughs> anywhere. And uh, our, our clients didn't know any of this, and the SEC didn't know actually. Um, but they they finished doing all this and said, Oh, we're gonna get these guys too. They waited years and years and years. And so, so the judge rules on the statute of limitations, we think incorrectly. And then five days later, Congress extends the statute of limitations. So if the, if the order had come out, you can't come back and, and get them later. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, conundrum on, on what happens in these cases. But that isn't for administrative law purposes. The real reason here is, number one, what do you need juries for? The second thing is, once again, you go to the words of the statute. The statute needs a statement to be made to an investor. And years ago... Um, A lot of times statements would be made, but not to any particular investor. And so the courts came up and my judge was uh, very uh, an expert on this with with fraud on the market theory. And that is you didn't tell anyone directly what it was, but there's a general fraud on the entire market. And that's also a very sophisticated argument. And that wasn't made here. Nothing was made here because they were they were what the what the. SEC brought was a case on these 211 forms. And what a 211 form is, is you go to the website of the SEC and you and, and the, the, the security has been registered by the fraudsters already. If they're fraudsters, most people aren't. Uh, and so this, this material is deemed by the SEC to be reliable. So they put it on your website and you put it on the 211 form and then you have the issuers. That's the people who are going to put out the security they then give you a certain other information that you get from them and you put that on the form and they swear to it. Like they tell you that it's all true.
0: Right. You don't swear and to it. You they don't swear, swear to all it. All
1: right. Exactly. And then it goes to FINRA. Who's FINRA? FINRA is a private regulator, basically. All right. FINRA is um, a, 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 a heavily regulated private uh, uh, regulator and it then decides whether to go forward. And it, it's under sort of regulations. How, is it considered a self-governing yes, organization? it is. And, it, and it, it's, it, it's very complicated. I don't want to get into that because I don't think it matters for this purpose. But once again, FINRA is not the public. And the kicker, the kicker to all this that drives me nuts is the 211 form is secret. The public never gets to see it. Whatever you put on there cannot go to the public. It's impossible. So, seems like it might be hard
0: for the public to rely on those exactly, statements if they never see them.
1: You got it. And FINRA doesn't really rely on them either because FINRA came in and SEC came in. They all did independent audits of all this stuff, of all these issuers. So our, our clients were basically market makers. For small cap stocks, there's no real market for them. And so in order that you can raise capital and so that, um, so that uh, people can invest in small penny stocks, they're called, you have to have a market maker, and that's that's what Spartan was. It was a market maker where they promised to, um, you know, uh, up, buy and sell. Yeah, buy and sell, and have your shares and all that. And and it's all that's all complicated. But what's not complicated is the statute says you have to deceive somebody because the uh, secu- to, in order to make um, capital available, they want securities markets to be reliable. And the securities markets, if they're reliable, people can invest. Makes perfect sense. Um, but the other thing they want to do um, is allow the market to function. And here, these actors were not trying to deceive anything about anybody. One of the real key points of all this is they didn't get anything <laughs> if they lied on a 211. It didn't There's,
0: affect their fees. No, or it didn't
1: affect anything. Um, it, it, at most, even. It would be diminutive. They, they got the same amount they get for a true 211 for all these other coming. And there's no, I mean, there's just absolutely. And this, I think, is why the jury didn't find any scheme, conspiracy, nothing, because there was no reason for them to do that. And they didn't do it. So um, there's no there's no there would be no reason for this uh, supposed violation. Um, and so w- what we would like. Uh, the 11th circuit to do. And there's a lot of other things in there as well. Um, but I think that the key ones are, what do you need jury trials for? Because constitution says anytime there's a, um, a, a dispute, civil dispute over $20, you need to have a jury. So how can you not have a jury for fines going up to $150,000 and all the facts that have to be there? What juries are there to do is find facts. Um, so we think that is uh, going to be a, uh, looked at very sharply by the LM circuit and the other issue is well who's the public how do you get statements to the public and here we have zero none um, and and so you can't just have the SEC bring 14 and then this is this happens with prosecutors a lot they overcharge right they hurl everything up there and hope that some of the spaghetti sticks to the wall and I do think um, you know i had i had the raguette in the last one i just had spaghetti <laughs> i was like maybe it's near lunch but anyway <laughs> but but i but i think that i think that um you can you can you're making through. a meal of it okay yeah kara rollins wrote this she is she is the lead on this case and um i do think that uh the 11th circuit is going to look at it very uh closely and um i think this issue of what's a statement to the public matters as well and what's material You know, the SEC the other day, what I, uh, I think it was in the McDonald's case, they have, they have uh, brought some sort of action or, or, or said something negative. The, the, uh, there was a big uh, corporate officer of of McDonald's, I think it was, who was having an affair and he, he left McDonald's and then it was more affairs and they're basically saying that McDonald's had to reveal exactly how many affairs (laughs) or else it's an SEC violation. <laughs> and and I was like, oh, come on! They said it was generally what it was—the sexual harassment type thing. Billions uh,
0: and billions uh, served.
1: Exactly. Exact- oh boy. So so um, anyone, anyway, uh, you know, I I just I'm like, well, wait a second. It's not like they didn't say uh, first. So first, I had a question of whether that would even be material to some investors, but it might. Me too. It might. But I don't think that uh, whether it was one or three is is uh, is a material <laughs> difference, um, and so and and so. But that that's the way we're going, and and just like the FDC we were discussing earlier, um, if the SEC gets to deem anything material, anything the SEC doesn't like suddenly becomes material. Well, that's not law; that is just once again administrative fiat. So I think that. And I think the law is right, is clear on this, that material does have meaning. It has meaning that the uh, judicial, that the judiciary has to, um, has to determine. And in this case, uh, the the statements that were supposedly made on the 211s, as I said, um, they're, they're not material. In fact, there were a number of these issuers. And one of the things the SEC says is, well, you didn't say that this bad guy, Introduced you to these clients. Well, in one of the issuers, they said, "Oh, we didn't know he was a bad guy." He said, "Oh, this is the guy who introduced us," and Finra just passed it through, and the SEC passed it through. It made no difference. It made no difference. They didn't. They didn't either. They didn't know the Which guy.
0: Suggest it wasn't material. It
1: wasn't material, and this is almost like a scientific experiment. Here is the issuance without the information that this is the guy who introduced you to the company and here's the issuance when you said exactly he introduced you to the company and it, they operated exactly the same way well material mean obviously there's nothing but we'll see what the left
0: Welcome back to Administrative Static. Uh, Mark Chenoweth here with John Vecchioni. Wanted to uh, to update folks, John, on on one aspect, uh, and I can't remember. Did did Janine talk about this last week when we had her on the program? I don't. I don't recall. But this this uh, this issue with the Twitter uh, files and with what's coming out about social media censorship, that it turns out that the FBI apparently was actually paying the social media companies. To do some of this, I, I don't
1: believe we discussed it. Certainly not in depth. Yeah, and and I just I wanted to
0: flag that for people because I think it's it's uh, first of all it's shocking to me, uh, and, and and I and I'm not sure that it's legal, and if it is legal in the sense that that the the compensation itself is is okay, uh, then it's still untoward in a in a few different ways. One. Uh, the fact that, that Twitter hired the former general counsel of the FBI uh, to come on board there and then the FBI is paying Twitter, boy, that looks a little, well, a little funny.
1: You know, just one thing about yeah. it is so they're paying Twitter for the time of their employees to go censor everybody. Let's just see what they're paying for. That's what they're paying for. Very good point. Very good point. Yeah. So
0: this isn't, this isn't just some sort of uh, a good citizen payment or something, they're actually compensating them for doing censorship on topics requested by the government. So, meanwhile, in our lawsuits against the government over social media censorship, one of the arguments that the government is making is there's no state action here. And just to clarify for folks who aren't First Amendment experts who are listening in, the First Amendment only applies to the government. So, one of the things you'll hear people say is, well, Twitter can censor people if they want to. Well, sure, that's right. They can. They're a private entity. They can censor people if they want to, but not if they're doing it at the behest of the government and the government's paying them for it. (laughs) That's, (laughs) that's state action of a very direct and, and, uh, measurable kind.
1: Don't we call those government contractors?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Starts to look that way. Doesn't it? It really does. And so, uh, you know, so I think that, needless to say, that the government has a problem on its hands uh, in, in terms of our lawsuit. If it's going to keep trying to stick with the no state action, you know, nothing to see here theory, I think that goes out the window once you have payments from the government to Twitter and other social media companies. Now, query whether the government knew about these payments at the time that it was claiming there was no state action, because that's one of the things that bothers me about this As we peel away the onion here, John. They keep saying they keep using arguments that once we are in 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 command of the same facts that they are, there's no way that those arguments hold water.
1: And, you know, I was thinking of our our client, uh, Jay Bhattacharya, and uh, he pays taxes. And I just see the money stream going uh, from him to the to the Treasury, to the FBI, to Twitter, to censor him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So you're paying to have yourself censored now. Obviously, there's a million people, but that's just the mental image I had when I saw that.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's probably how he feels about it. I, I don't want to speak for Jay, but it you know it's it's a it's a problem, and it's definitely state action. And and there's a couple other things about this that really bother me. First of all, it extends the reach of the surveillance state. I mean, if typically, if the, well, first of all. There are all sorts of laws about the CIA and other people not being able to do domestic spying. Even the FBI, they can't just go and spy on people if they want to. I mean, this is the kind of thing that J. Edgar Hoover used to do to Martin Luther King Jr. Since we're close to MLK uh, weekend here, I'll use that example. It's not lawful to do that just because the FBI wants to do it. They're, it's why we have warrants. It's why we have warrants. It's why we have the Fourth Amendment that, that uh, protects people uh, in, their, in their private papers from unreasonable searches and seizures, and if the FBI suspects that there's illegal conduct, then ordinarily the FBI would have to get a warrant to search for the material, or at least they'd have to serve a subpoena in connection with a grand jury investigation. And it appears that they did none of this, that they just enlisted Twitter and other social media companies uh, to do their bidding, to do the searching for them in violation of the Fourth Amendment, which, again, forbids uh, these sorts of unreasonable searches. Uh, and and would, would the Fourth Amendment would require probable cause in order to to get a search warrant. You'd have to show that to a judge. They don't just get to come up with this on their own. Again, none of that happened. They just enlisted the social media companies to, to do the searching, which again, extends the reach of the surveillance state. And they did an end run around the Fourth Amendment because they paid these social media companies to censor what they found. And this is just so it's hard to think of a more deliberate violation of people's civil liberties uh, than, than that, Vec. Uh, and, and then, of course, I mean, I've been talking about the Fourth Amendment. Of course, this is a blatant First Amendment uh, violation. Uh, the government can't uh, quash a speech like this. It certainly can't uh, preemptively quash speech like that. I mean, the, the, the idea that you can have someone taken off Twitter, which is what they did in some cases, I mean, that is absolutely uh, a prior restraint on speech, and there's no way about it. And there's no way that the, if the government did that on its own, that that would be upheld under the First Amendment. It couldn't
1: it would, pass a law to do that.
0: Couldn't pass a law to do. Congress couldn't pass a law to do that. So certainly the administrative state can't do that on their own. And guess what? They can't pay the social media companies to do their dirty work for them. That is also unlawful. Uh, so there's just so many aspects of this that, that really great and I don't know, uh, John, you've been paying closer attention to this than I have. I don't know if there are aspects of this problem uh, that that particularly great on you or that I haven't touched on.
1: Yeah. So uh, I, I think that what's amazing about this is it came out so late. Our, our case has been filed in July, and this didn't come out, I think, last month. And it certainly wasn't produced by them. I think it came out in the Twitter file somewhere. And um we, we're now uh, coming to the end of our discovery period to finish up for the preliminary injunction. And the government has moved to dismiss, and we opposed it, and um, and we're, th- the case will go forward. But, it, but again, they keep saying, well, these are private companies. They can do what they want. And some commentators, many of whom I uh, respect, say, hey, look, th- the federal government has free speech rights, which I agree with. But it, this is... A totally different animal, because you cannot you cannot say, "Oh, you have this platform now. I'm going to pay your employees to pull the people I don't like what they're saying off your platform," and you'll do that, right? <laughs> That's not free speech. That has be- that comes to the point of coercion. And as I always as I always say, the just sheer magnitude, not just the FBI, CDC, um, the Surgeon General, DHS, DHS, all of the contacts are absolutely incredible. And this didn't start here. The the other thing is I had thought that this was all just part of COVID and it was part of the COVID thing. The other thing that's come to light that I think really bears pointing out is that most of these portals and most of these government contacts began because of the census. They were worried that they weren't going to be able to count people during COVID. And so the census called these companies up and did sort of what you'd call a free speech thing. They didn't try to take people down. They said, how do we get the message out through these platforms that you should fill out your census forms because you'll get your, your representation, your benefits, all this sort of thing. And they did say, and this is the, this is the snake in the garden, they said, and we want to diminish um, resistance to the census because there are people who are paranoid about the census and all this so that's how it all started people are paranoid about the government showing up at their house uh, and saying that i'm from the government and here yeah, to help you and I'm, to count you I'm, yeah and so and, and they have all but but you know it's in the constitution it's been around for 250 years it's not like i will say this the one thing about the census is it's not unconstitutional <laughs> <laughs> no it's not no it's so not. and it, it happens says,
0: every 10 right, years
1: i'm gonna go out on a limb yeah. and and so um but
0: and, and it's kind of fun. If you look at these old census yes. you know, things, you can find out things about your grandparents right. or whatever. And, and, where they and lived
1: things and... you can find about the United States. I mean, it's a yeah. fascinating overtime document. But people are worried about it. And so the census looks to me like what they're trying to do is make sure they did their job and counted everyone. And I don't actually have information in hand that they did say, oh, take this down or take it not. But they did create these portals to talk to the tech companies directly. And what we see in the administrative law is even something that begins what well, what many people would say benign. At least some people would say what I just described is not benign, but some some would. yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't see this giant every day trying to silence people on Twitter just from this. I wouldn't think no, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that. and and i, I I'm not sure that
0: we thought uh, that there was this carrot and stick going on. I mean, the the battle that we thought that we were engaged in and Correct me if I'm wrong. You, you're the litigator on this, but I think that we thought we were trying to establish that a lot of these coercive statements that were coming out of the White House and from from the the press secretary and from the Surgeon General and so forth that these coercive statements, the that Facebook is killing people from the from the, the president's dead or or some of these other coercive statements were were putting enough pressure on the companies to make them do the government's bidding, and the pushback on that both from the government and from critics of our lawsuit was ah you know that's just the bully pulpit they're allowed to do that there's nothing coercive there but there's there wasn't just the stick there was the carrot too John they're paying them to censor people there's
1: no not only are they paying them but they're also intimidation and one thing we have found in the case I do think this is what it shows because the later emails and contacts show as you said the FBI general counsel had gone over they're more cooperative later but early on, Early on they were not so co- cooperative it was the it was the um, threats, the pushes, the constant the constant uh, nagging if you will, constant threats and then all the rest of it and then finally we now see money involved all of, lucre. yes all of that ha- changed the attitudes because the uh, tech companies even they might like one political com- uh, branch and not another political uh, party whatever it is. But uh, they weren't thrilled with doing this.
0: No, I don't think they were thrilled with doing it. And the, there is a there is a federal statute that permits the government to pay social media companies for doing certain kinds of things. Like I think if, but it's supposed to be if they're responding to a warrant or if they're providing some things like that, then you compensate them. And I just wonder if there was an end run around that law here that they were paying money out of the FBI for something that that statute never authorized payment for, and that could be another problem that the FBI had as we get into this. And about it. Thanks for tuning in to The Snack. We'll be back next week with another episode